0: Our second reading is from Romans chapter 15. We who are strong, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The word of the Lord.
1: There we go. Okay. First of all, I just want to say what an honor it is to be back here. Uh, For those of you that were here last week, I mentioned that I grew up in Northern Virginia. My wife did as well. I went to Jefferson High School back before you had to be smart to go there. Uh, If you lived on my street, you would have gone to Jefferson High School too. Uh, But, um, and every year I talked about how we would come to Madison and get our brains kicked out. Uh, What I didn't realize at the time was that if I was 30 years younger, uh, Johnny, your pastor, uh, would have been one of the ones kicking our brains out because he was the star quarterback here of the Madison High School football team. I don't know if you knew that or not, his mother, who was the homecoming queen here at Madison, the year I graduated, um, reminded me, I had talked last week about a wonderful athlete named Andre, and I'd forgotten his last name, and she said, that was Andre Polly, of course. And so it, it all kind of came together, and she said, you're, I read, you're the guy who they picked up out of the mud after every play, after Andre would push you around. I said, that was me, that was me. So we came full circle. Uh, We're finishing up the the book of Romans today, Romans uh, 15 and 16, the last two chapters of the book of Romans. There's really a break, as we talked about last week, between Romans 1 through 11 and Romans 12 and following. The Romans 1 through 11 is Paul laying the theological foundation for what God has done in our lives, that God recognized that we were fallen and God intervened in our lives. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come offer himself for us, give us new life, the power of the Holy Spirit, to change us and to graft us into his people Israel. And then all of that is, have, have any ever been to a convention where they have resolutions in the first? They, they introduce them with whereas this, whereas this, whereas this, whereas this. There's a whole long list of whereases. And finally you get down to the therefores. You know. And a lot of people like to skip the whereases. I like the whereases. I like to read the rationale for the therefore. A lot of people just skip down to the therefore. What happens as a result of what came before? Well, Romans 1 through 11 is the whereases. Whereas God has done these things for us. Whereas God has given us new life. Whereas God has brought us out of sin and death into life in Christ and given us the Holy Spirit. Whereas God has grafted us into his people therefore is the first word of chapter 12 we are to live as new creations not in order to achieve salvation salvation has already been given us that's in the whereas the therefore is where we go from there and so um, uh, last week i talked about the church in rome paul had never been there rome was the capital city of the ancient world And there was this little Christian community that was growing up in there. And I talked about Petri dishes. And uh, I remember, maybe you do too, um, uh, doing science experiments when you were in maybe elementary or junior high, maybe even senior high, where the teacher would put something in a Petri dish and then add something else and then uh, all the kids would, the first thing you would do when you went into the class the next day or for the following week is run over to the Petri dish and see what was growing in the Petri dish. Anybody here remember doing that kind of thing in science class? Yeah. Yeah. It was, every day was like, wow, what, what new thing, you know? And we were always kind of hoping, the guys were always kind of hoping it was gross, you know? Um, and then we could use it to scare the girls. That's a very sexist thing to say, but this was the fifties. So come on, uh, the, the, the Christian community in Rome was a Petri dish for the rest of the Roman Empire. They were under a microscope, quite literally. It was, it was an experiment in what God was doing among a group of disparate people, Latins, Greeks, Jews, people whose allegiance was to Rome, people who had been brought up, as Jews with believing in one God and the need for a Messiah and the forgiveness of sins and atonement and other people who came from a Greek or Latin background who had no concept of a Messiah, of atonement, of a need for revelation, of commandments that came down from a mountain. So they came from two entirely different religious backgrounds and maybe many others and they were trying to sort of meld these together and the world was watching, and it was, there was a lot at stake because the Jewish religion had been given a special status in the Roman Empire. It was religio lecitas. In other words, it was a legitimate, uh, next slide. It was a legitimate religion. In other words, if you were a Jew, you could practice your religion, and the Romans would just leave you alone, okay? Um, it was religio lecitas. That's the way you pronounce it in Latin, I'm told. But, and so to the extent that Christianity was seen as just a Jewish sect, then it was legal in the Roman Empire. But the Christian faith is starting to sort of separate itself from the Jewish faith. Are, Are you just a Jew who believes in Jesus as the Messiah, or is this a whole new thing? And if it's a whole new thing, then it moves into a different legal category in Rome called religio illicitas, in other words, an illegal religion. And you went from being somebody who was protected by Roman law to being someone who would be persecuted by Roman law. And so there was a lot at stake in the theological understanding of what God had done. The Christians were separating themselves from the religious practices of the Jews and the religious practices of the Romans. There was a big argument. Do we keep kosher food laws? On what day of the week do we worship? Do we worship on what you and I today would call Saturday, the seventh day? Do we worship on the first day? Do we worship on Sunday? Uh, These things were changing. Do we honor the temple? Do we keep Passover? Remember, Jesus had said something which we just pass over. uh, Pardon the pun. It was uh, an unintended pun. A little bit later, Johnny or whoever celebrates today is going to Probably quote from Jesus saying, Whenever you do this, and for Jesus it was a Passover meal, he said, Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Now, listen to that from a Jewish perspective. For thousands of years, the Jews had done this in remembrance of the Exodus. They had done this in remembrance of Moses. They had done this in remembrance of what God had done in Egypt. And Jesus is saying, from now on, whenever you do this, you need to s- not remember Moses and the Exodus so much. You need to remember me. When you see it from that perspective, it is totally revolutionary. How arrogant would that be for a Christian, for Johnny to stand up here and say, I know we've for 2,000 years we've been doing this in remembrance of Jesus, but from now on, I want you to remember Johnny. Many of you would walk out the back door of the church, rightly so. But that's what Jesus was saying. So this was a a revolutionary situation in Rome. Acts 16, 20 to 21. When they came first to Europe, notice the first charge that was leveled against the Christians. They brought them before the magistrates. This is in Philippi. And they said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by notice advocating customs unlawful for us Romans. Romans accept and practice. And now here they are in Rome, and they're saying, is it legal even to be a Christian? Are th- what are these people trying to do? Next slide, please. Socrates earlier in 399 BC is guilty of crimes, this is from Xenophon, the, uh, the Socratic dialogue, in refusing to recognize the gods acknowledged by the state and imposing strange divinities of his own. It was a serious thing to advocate a new God. Socrates died for it. The Romans were very sensitive about it. And so you have this Christian community that's trying to come together and trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus in the context of a Jewish religion in a Greek-Roman context coming together in a city where Caesar is Lord, Kairos Kyrios. He is Lord. And they're saying, no, Jesus is Lord. Now, you would expect that in that coming together of this different community of different folks, that there might be divisions. And so Paul warns against that at the very end of chapter 16, next slide, please, where he says, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. He says, just avoid them. Just avoid them. And so Romans 15 and 16 is about how we come together. And he gives examples of the new community that he's talking about. Romans 16, if you've ever read it, it's one of those chapters, a little bit like Matthew 1. Back when I was doing youth work with Young Life, you know, kids would come to know Jesus and they'd say, I'm going to buy a New Testament and start reading it. And I'd say, no, 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 you know, whatever you do, don't start with Matthew 1. You know, don't just open up to page 1 because you won't make it past page 1. Because if you know Matthew, the gospel, page one is just a long list of names, right? The so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And the kids would come to me and they'd say, this is the most boring book I've ever read. It's like a phone book. So yeah, you, you just don't do that. <laughs> you know, go to Mark, go to John, go somewhere else. Well, Romans 16 is essentially kind of a long list of names. And Paul is trying to make the point that he makes here. It's about a new community. Paul had never been to Rome. He was writing this to people, many of whom he had never met, and yet, because Rome was what it was, he knew already many, many people that were there. It was a little bit like growing up in Vienna, Virginia. Um, I grew up here, like I said, but I moved to Jacksonville, Florida in 1985, and the, the church that I served was very, very near Jacksonville Naval Air Station. And so a a large percentage of my congregation was made up of folks who were in the Navy. And one of the things you learned was that if you were in the Navy long enough, eventually you'd end up in Washington, D.C., and eventually you'd end up in Jacksonville, Florida. And so I could talk almost like they were neighbors. I'd say, Braddock Road, oh yeah, Braddock Road, avoid Braddock Road. Oh yeah, 123, yeah, it's a parking lot, avoid, you know. But the amphora, that's worth waiting in 123.4. You know, in Jacksonville, Florida, but it was like they knew it because they had been there. They had been to D.C. They they understood Washington traffic. They understood Northern Virginia. They'd worked at the Pentagon. They understood the mixing bowl, et cetera. But now they were living in Jacksonville. Well, this is the opposite. These are people that Paul had met along the way, and so he's greeting them. And Paul is trying to make the point, as was read earlier from the Old Testament, that even Moses couldn't do it alone. We all need other people. This does not happen by itself. This is not because Johnny had a great idea and Johnny makes it happen. Johnny needs other people. And so I'm going to go briefly through this list, not the whole thing, mainly because I can't pronounce a lot of the names. But uh, there are names in there that I want to sort of um, hit on. So, next slide. The first thing he says is greet, is greet phoebe now phoebe was the one who brought the letter to rome from he was writing in corinth and she was the one they didn't have a postal service back then you couldn't just fedex it and you couldn't email it paul had to literally write it out and we'll meet later the guy who actually put pen to paper his name was tertius and hand this take this document of which there was no copy in the cloud this one singular document that we have today is the letter to the Romans. This precious, unbelievably world-changing document. And Phoebe, this woman who is described as a deacon, she was a female deacon, was given this letter and he said, get this to my church in Rome. And so for 800 miles across the, uh, the Greek uh, peninsula, across the Adriatic Sea, across Italy, she carried this document, 800 miles. Now, let's do the math. Let's do the math. Let's say she moved at an average of two miles an hour. How long would it take her to make that 800-mile journey? Because two miles an hour is about what a person can walk unless they're almost walking really fast. How long? Do the math. 400 hours. And that's either you know by ship sailing around and up or walking across and then getting up. Uh, she. This was a huge investment, and so we owe Phoebe a great deal just because of her faithfulness in delivering this document. Next, he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were people that Paul had met in Corinth. Next slide, please. Greet Prisca and Aquila. He calls her Prisca, which was kind of a nickname, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who... Risk their necks, that's the Greek phrase, risk their trachea. The Greek word is trachea. And I don't know how, but these were people who put their lives on the line for Paul. They had been from Rome, had gone to Corinth, and now we're back in Rome. Next slide, please. This is from Corinthians. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and they found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome he went to see them and because he was of the same trade he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade i want to just pause here for just a minute and make what i think is a very significant point paul like most like all rabbis nobody very 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 few people in the ancient world made their living by being religious rabbis had to have another skill you 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 earned your money by having a trade you were a farmer a baker a candlestick maker paul was a tent maker now, when Paul arrived in, um, in Corinth, he was coming directly from Athens, and he was by himself. He had been sort of booted out of Athens after having given a speech on the Areopagus, which was not well received. And so Paul writes later, when I came to Corinth, I came in weakness. Paul was down. He was beat up intellectually, and he had been beaten up physically earlier, So Paul is walking alone from Corinth down, um, from Athens down to Corinth. He arrives in Corinth, and he's at a low spot in his life. He is at a very low spot in his life. In fact, when he wrote to the Corinthians later, he would say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves are comforted by for God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So Paul is reflecting on his time in Corinth, and he's saying, I was so beat up. I was so down. I was wondering, God, what am I doing? And Priscilla and Aquila, apparently Paul takes his skill, maybe he had a small bag of little tools that he used for tent making, maybe some needles and who knows what, and he goes around to the the people who make tents and sails and different things with cloth, and he says, hey, I'm new in town, you got any openings for a job? And he meets Priscilla and Aquila, and they say, yeah, come on, stay with us, we'll bring you in. So they bring him in, they give him a place to stay, they give him a job to do, they give him a little community, and in return, Paul gives them the gospel, they become followers of Christ, And they become the backbone of a new community. And Paul stays with them for quite some time. But he came to them in weakness. He didn't come, hey, I'm Paul, I'm here. Let's get this thing on the road. Paul came and he was a broken man when he showed up in Corinth. And there was this mutuality between Paul and Priscilla and Aquila. Do you have people like that in your life? Are you that way for somebody else? There have been times in all of our lives when we were the ones who needed somebody to to sort of welcome us in and say, hey, you can be with us for a while. We'll walk with you through this. We don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know what the answer is. But we will walk with you through this, through the valley of the shadow of death. And in return, Paul was able to say to them, you know, I understand now God in a new way through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about that. And so they became partners in the gospel. Corky encouraged me to remind you of the ministry that my wife and I have. There are little flyers out there. It's called the Relationship Center, uh, and uh, it's we're based in Falls Church, and you can pick up one of these little flyers and see a wonderful picture of my son and daughter-in-law. Um, there on the cover. Uh, and my wife and I, my wife is a licensed clinical social worker. I have some training in counseling as well. And... Um, but that is not our qualification really for the ministry that we do our, min our qualification for the ministry that we do which is primarily working with broken families with addiction with um, compulsive behaviors with uh, you know the things that destroy families and, and lives is that I've been there myself I'm a recovering addict myself I lost my job if you Google me, you'll see that. You'll see that God had to take me low to bring me back. We minister out of our own brokenness, the fact that our marriage nearly, very nearly fell apart. I had to leave the ministry for a while. That is my main qualification, is that we have been through the valley of the shadow of death. We comfort with the comfort we ourselves have been comforted, and that's what Paul says here. We don't come to you, just with expertise that comes from classes and learning and licensing and all that stuff. We come because we have walked that road. We can walk with you through that. So that's what Paul is saying here about Priscilla and Aquila. They have walked that road with him. Next slide. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Oh, d- okay, I'll just point out. Notice, they met in the house. And encouragement, I saw there's a sign up out there for small groups, if this is all the Christian input you get during the week, you're not going to make it. You need to be in some kind of a small group. You need to be, remember the show Cheers? None of you here are old enough to remember the show Cheers, but there was a TV show called Cheers, and at the very beginning of that show, they would sing, sometimes you got to go where... Knows your name. You do see it. <laughs> everybody knows your name, and... My yeah, yeah, they're, they're always... Glad you came. Okay, that's not here on Sunday morning. Everybody does not know your name, and they're not always glad you came because you took their parking place, <laughs> because you got the last donut, because your, you know, your kid and their kid had a fight in Sunday school. Everybody needs a place where y- if you're not there, somebody picks up a phone and says, hey Ralph, George, Sue, we missed you. That is not christ church on a sunday morning as wonderful as it would be if that were true you can't belong to three or four hundred people even jesus had a group of 12 and in the group of 12 he had three you need that you need a place in your life where they always where they know your name and they're always glad you came and if you're not there they miss you so greet my beloved whatever the guy's name was who was the first convert to christ in asia Notice he calls them beloved. Now, what is not to be beloved about that first person who makes that step? Imagine how courageous it is to be the first convert. When I did youth ministry and then I found out it was true in adults, the first question a kid would ask is, you say, hey, I want to tell you about Young Life Summer Camp. I want to tell you about this thing. What's the first question? Who else is there? Who else is going? I don't want to be the first. You know, I want to know that I'm part of a larger group. And so this guy... Was the first guy, and you gotta, you gotta, just gotta love that—a person who had the courage to be the first. Notice the next one. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Now we don't know much about Mary, except that Paul goes out of his way; he really piles on the Greek here. The Greek is Pola, Echo Echopiasen means to work to the point of exhaustion, just in and of itself. But then he adds pola, which means a lot, poly. So not only did she work to the point of exhaustion, she really worked to the point of exhaustion. We don't know about Mary. We don't know anything about her except that she was a hard worker. And so when I got here this morning, I got here at 8.45, and already Katie, Michael, Helen, Corky, Kennedy, and other people I didn't even meet had already been here, were setting things up, were sort of putting things together, were taking things out of boxes. It takes, like with Moses, it takes lots and lots of people to make this happen. People behind the scenes, people whose names you may not even know, they made your worship today possible. Mary was that kind of person. Putting together bulletins, taking taking things you know just being aware if you see somebody putting things in a in a plastic crate and putting them in a car thank that person take just a second to say you know thank you for for getting here before i got here and staying after i left to make sure that the coffee was there and the bread was there and the thing was there. just say thanks mary who worked very hard for you. Greet Andra- Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They're well known in the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Notice, these people were relatives. They were relatives of Paul and they had been in prison with Paul. Nothing like going to prison to bond you together. Okay? But imagine what it would have been like to be Paul's kinsmen to be related to Paul at the time in his life when he was killing Christians. Uh, Because they were in Christ before Paul, and before Paul became a Christian, he was out killing Christians. Imagine what it would have been like to be related to Paul and know that if he knew that about you, he would feel duty-bound to take you into custody and to take you to the authorities. These were brave people. And Paul looks back and he says, I am so grateful for their life in me. For their life in Christ and for their willingness to serve Him by serving me, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. There it is, Rufus. Apart from the the source of many jokes about Rufus leaking, um, I had a friend. I I I like the idea of his mother. Um, There's a couple stories here. One is I just want to. I had a friend named Mike whose mom was an alcoholic. And Mike would come over to my house on occasion, um, and he told me later why, because his mom, his house was not a happy place. His dad was kind of mean, and his mom was an alcoholic, and not a, not a fun alcoholic, kind of a mean alcoholic. And he would come to my, to my house, because my mom would always have fresh-baked cookies on the table. My mom would always have a kind word. And so Mike would come and he would just sort of relax in my house because there, my mom kind of became his mom for a season. And I think of Paul, and I think of this, and I don't know exactly what that means, but we do know that Mark chapter 12, I mean, Mark chapter 15, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Rufus's father was Simon of Cyrene, the guy who had carried Jesus's cross. And now we see Rufus being a companion of Paul. Scholars are almost certain it's the same person. Why else would Mark have bothered to mention it? He's obviously mentioning it because people know who Rufus is. So Simon, who gets drafted to carry Jesus's cross, goes home and tells his wife, who is Rufus's mother, who becomes Paul's surrogate mother. Rufus, hears the story of the the one who died this incredible death, and he goes back and he says, I can't believe what, you'll never believe what happened when I was in Jerusalem. And so now we see the family unit coming together, and Paul saying, this family meant so much to me, and the connection that I have through them to the cross of Christ. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Timothy was Paul's young associate. Timothy was the one that Paul was pouring his life into. Timothy was the next generation. Timothy was the one that Paul said, "You're gonna here. You you try it. You go next." And the, Paul wrote two at least two letters to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, saying, all right, "I'm giving you more and more responsibility." Who's your Timothy? Who in your life are you taking whatever faith you have and trying to pass it on to? Who is the next generation for your faith? Do you consciously have a Timothy in your life? For whom were you a Timothy? Who was the one who passed on their faith to you? Because somebody did it. Somebody took you aside, took you, invited you into their life, and brought you to their faith. My wife and I the other day were talking about the people that led us to faith and trying to figure out how to, how to reconnect. My wife met the Lord in college at Virginia Tech, and it was a couple from Campus Crusade that led her to Christ. For me, it was another Campus Crusade guy up at, um, in New York uh, that led me to faith. If you can find that person, thank him, and be conscious about passing on your faith. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord, just a personal equipment. Paul couldn't write. Apparently, he had something wrong with his eyes. He had a hard time writing, and so he would just dictate. Can you imagine being Paul's secretary, his amanuensis, as it was called, who would just try to keep up with Paul? What would, give me that again, because they didn't have, you know, there was no delete buttons. There was no, you know, this is a guy who's got a little stylish. He's dipping it in something. He's trying to write on this, on, you know, vellum or some kind of paper or something, you know. Uh, Paul, slow down, Paul, slow, because you get the impression of Paul walking back and forth and kind of thinking and saying, but Christ died for us, you know, and, and this guy's trying to, is there a comma there? You know, did I get this right? Let me read that back. Did you really mean to say that? So Tertius just kind of throws in this little line, maybe during a pause. Maybe Paul said, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And Tertius just says, hey, by the way, I'm Tertius. Never met you. Nice to meet you. I'm the guy who's writing this out. Maybe Paul didn't even know it was in there. <laughs> and then finally, at, at, at the end of chapter 16, and, and I'm getting close to the end here, folks, 29 minutes and 38 seconds, okay. Um, Romans 16:25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for so long, ages 26, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all the nations, Can you imagine being tertius? (laughs) What was that again? According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. You can kind of take out that middle part. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, skip down. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Paul kind of gets these long, in Greek, the sentences just go on and on and on and on and on. Paul is saying there that the final thought, this is the right before the last word, he's saying everything that came before this, the entire book of Romans, is all about bringing glory to God. It's all about the fact that we are not the center of the universe, but that God is is and so he closes with the final word amen he closes with just a simple amen now i want to spend just a minute talking about amen and then we're going to do something here the word amen has no english equivalent it's a hebrew word it's the only hebrew word in the book of romans but you see it all throughout it comes from a three-letter root, Aleph, Mem, Nun, but A-M-N. And it's a Hebrew word that, like I said, gets translated. They just bring it into Greek because there's no Greek equivalent. We bring it in English because there's no English equivalent. And it means it's fixed. It means it's nailed down. You can build on this. It's bedrock. It, the King James tried to translate it truly, truly, sometimes, or verily, verily, but it means you can count on this. This is something you can build your life on. Romans 15, 5 and 6. For some reason I had that marked. Hold on a second, let me see why. I'm getting so excited here, I'm like Paul. Pretend you're Tertius, trying to keep up with me. Romans 15, I thought I had that marked in my Bible. 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. That's why I did. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a passage that was read a little bit earlier. Paul is saying we need to be together in this, folks. We're in a petri dish. We need to not have divisions among ourselves. We need to pray, talk, love, forgive, embrace our way through this so that when the world looks at us, and trust me, the world is looking at Christ Church Vienna. When they see that sign go up out there, oh, a new church. It's not like we don't have churches in Vienna. We already got dozens of churches in Vienna. Oh, another new church in Vienna. I wonder what they're about. I wonder what goes on there. I wonder why they felt like they needed one more church in Vienna. You better have a pretty good justification. You know, it's like opening up another Mexican restaurant. I mean, why would you have another Mexican restaurant? You've got to need it. I mean, who else needs another Mexican restaurant? So when they see that sign go up, they're going to say, okay, uh, let's see what happens. Let's watch and see what happens at this Christ Church Vienna. How do they bring together the disparate community that's represented here in Vienna and the larger area? How do they come together in Christ? Do they sing in harmony? Do they work together? Do they break down differences? Do they find themselves united in Christ? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, there's that therefore again, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I want you to think about that concept of a cloud of witnesses as we do this last thing here. Have any of you ever seen Handel's Messiah performed the whole thing all the way through? Okay. Everybody's favorite part of Handel's Messiah is the Hallelujah Chorus, except for mine. My favorite part of, the Hallel- of Handel's Messiah is the Amen Chorus, which happens at the very, very end. It's the last thing. And if you look at the program, you know it's got all these texts and all these different things and then there's at the bottom there's this one little word amen. And you think okay that's the end. What Handel did with that one word was he stretched it out for 3 minutes. And it's just the word amen over and over and over again. And the way he does it, I'm going to cry cuz I cry every time I think about this. I'm just warning you. I'm getting older, I'm getting more moist. Okay. Is There's this wonderful, worthy is the lamb to receive all of this stuff. And then there's a pause, about a three-second pause. And then, I want you to imagine, the reason I read that passage from Hebrews is, I want you to imagine this entire front of the stage filled with the saints who have gone before. Brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and great fathers and grandmothers. Everyone who is now celebrating with Christ. I want you to imagine this entire place, filled with thousands and millions of voices. And the way Handel set up the Amen chorus, it starts low with the baritones and the basses saying Amen. And then the tenors, imagine it moving from the basses to the tenors and the tenors add in their voices. And then the altos and the sopranos join in. And it's starting to build. And then the, the strings come in. And then after the strings, the woodwinds come in. And then after the woodwinds, the brass comes in. And then after the brass, the timpani comes in. And by the end of this three minutes, the same word, amen. It is fixed. You can count on it. You can build your life on this. This is true. Everyone in this glorious voice in harmony is singing together. Yes, this is life. This is how we can live. This we can build on. This is what Paul is trying to communicate with that one simple word. And that's how it often works in your life. A nudge, a whisper, a thought. And then it builds to a crescendo of brand new life that overflows, says Jesus, into the life of the community around you. So I want you for the next three minutes to just close your eyes perhaps or just imagine a great cloud of witnesses. People who have gone ages before. And think of this table as a table that extends into eternity. And we are invited to the table with the Lamb. And that sitting just on the other side of this are brothers and sisters and grandfathers and grandmothers who are feasting with us and singing together to the glory of the Lamb. The Amen Chorus from Handel's Messiah.